0: been inspired by being a business person because it allows me to connect not only to my patients, it allows me to connect to my suppliers, to my peers, to my teachers.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Here we are at the very, very end of the year, 2019. I want to take a few minutes to review the year share some insights and observations, and give you a glimpse at what to look forward to in the upcoming year 2020. First, I feel like I'm learning something from the practice of consistency, which is not something that comes natural to me. It might look like it from your side of our weekly interactions, but for me, it's more of an acquired habit than personal tendency. And I'd say that I benefited a lot from that practice. After almost two and a half years of conversations on Chinese medicine that have published every Tuesday morning, I'm finding that having certain non-negotiable slots on my calendar has helped me to improve my focus, give me a nudge towards slow, constant improvement, and allowed myself to not get stuck on things when they didn't hit the mark. Because I'm up to bat again in the next week. Persistence and forgiveness is a potent combination. Some of the things I've learned in the past year. First, It's important to start even if you don't know how you're gonna make it work. Second, it's okay to rely on other people. And in turn, I found out it's made me more reliable. I've been kind of a, I'll go my own way and figure things out kind of guy. I trust myself off the beaten track to figure out things that are right for me. But it also means that at times I've walked away from situations that were difficult rather than work them through. Geological now requires a team as it expands, and that means I can't just work it out my way. I need to work more collaboratively. I can let myself off the hook when I'm the only person involved, but when a team is working together, I need to be better at realistic timeframes and keeping my promises. I've found reliability develops within a shared context of effort and teamwork. It's been an unexpected surprise in the past year and one that I'm grateful for. I've learned too that if I have a clear what, the how will show itself as I go. Usually things don't end up the way I've planned them. There's a lot of honing, rewriting, redesigning, and reworking on the way to getting something done. It's not that I don't have the intelligence to work it out in the beginning, but it's more like it's hard to know at the beginning how to do something if you've never done it before. I've heard it said that if you're getting it right, you're practicing, and when you're getting it wrong, you're learning. There's a lot of getting it wrong on the way to getting it right. Another thing the podcast has taught me is that things go better when there's mutual benefit. We've all grown up in a world that values competition, and no doubt, competition does make us individually sharper and smarter, but collaboration means we can all do better together. Classic Darwinism says, strength is about who eats who, but there's another process going on here, especially amongst social creatures like ourselves, and that is strength comes from who helps who. I might be the guy behind the microphone each week, but this podcast would not exist without you, the listener, who finds value in it. And it would not exist without the support of our sponsors, and especially the contribution of UCHI logicians who support the show with a monthly or yearly membership. And then there's this delightful support from those of you who took a moment to find a postcard, handwrite your thoughts and feelings about the podcast, find a stamp, track down a mailbox, how old school is that, and then send it to me. I so appreciate those. All right, friends, this last conversation of 2019 is on one of my favorite subjects, doing business. You know, the beautiful thing about running your own business is that it gives you a platform to create a life to do meaningful work that's limited only by your imagination and the underdeveloped aspects of yourself. Our businesses are a mirror of who we are and who we have the potential to become. I hope that you'll enjoy this last conversation of 2019 with Bridget Linder. Let's get into it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-friendly needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit accufastneedles.com slash geological to learn how.
2: Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Maywei.com. This season and every season, trust with Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
1: I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, The Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app slash switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Cheological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Bridget Linder, welcome to Geological.
0: Thank you. Um, I'm very pleased to be here today.
1: I... Always have so much fun when I can talk to people across time zones, continents, like you're in a whole different day and a whole different season. You're down under. You're down in Australia.
0: Yes, I am.
1: Yes, you are. So we were chatting for a moment before I started rolling tape here. And you said something that a lot of guests on my show say, which is, well, I thought I'd prepare and I didn't know what to prepare, you know, or if I should prepare. It occurs to me that anyone that I talk to, I talk to them because they already know what they know. They already do what they do. They've been at it a long time. You know, I was joking with you saying, Well, you've been you for decades, and that's who I'm interested in talking to. And we both had kind of a chuckle over it that, oh, yeah, we it's like we are who we are, but why is it that that never seems to be enough?
0: Yes, And I think it's something that maybe we suffer from. I'm not sure if it's just in the first world that we suffer from this, like always thinking, are we good enough? Are we doing the best we can? Is it who we are, what we do? Or is it what we are taught? Or is it what we want to be? I think it takes a lot of guts and also reflection on what we do and how we feel during what we do to understand if it's us or not.
1: It takes a lot of guts. I think you're right. It does take a lot of guts. I mean, at least if we're showing up in a genuine way, right? It's like if you show up with like a false persona and someone doesn't like it, eh, so what? That's not me anyway, right? But if you actually show up as who you are and what you do and and you're doing something that matters to you and then someone calls you out, oh man, that just goes all the way into your heart, like immediately.
0: It can make you crash, can't it? Those type of situations.
1: We are more vulnerable when we're being authentic like that, is my sense. You know, and in the work as acupuncturists, I mean hopefully, you know, we're being authentic. And then there's that whole I mean, air quotes here, business side. You know, and I suspect a lot of us wonder, can we be authentic in our business persona? Or do we have to put something else out there for I don't know, because someone told us to, or we're afraid to put our... I don't know. You're a business person. Where do you get your juice to do what you do?
0: I think I am trying to work in a framework of business, even though it's a bad word in our industry. People don't want to be entrepreneurs, or they don't want to be business people. They want to be healers, and they always cringe when we talk a little bit more about what is it like to be in business as an acupuncturist or a Chinese medicine practitioner. I've always been inspired by being a business person because it allows me to connect not only to my patients, it allows me to connect to my suppliers, to my peers, to my teachers. And even though it's in a business sense, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It just means I'm trying to do my job the best I can by staying connected with my industry. And it doesn't mean that being an entrepreneur or running my own business means that I'm not a good healer or or that I'm not a good acupuncturist or Chinese medicine practitioner. I think it's just overcoming that paradigm that business being in business is bad. If we would be paid by, in Australia, a system called Medicare then it would be a slightly different situation, wouldn't it? Then we wouldn't have to be out there making sure that we do have enough patients filling our appointments, books, or, you know, coming back. But we are paid directly by our patients and a small amount by private health insurance covers, but we pretty much are in charge of our income, and that can be very daunting and that can be a little bit overwhelming.
1: It can be daunting and overwhelming, I mean, especially if you don't have any background in it. Do you have any business in your background? Did you come from a family that did business or did you, I don't know, as a teenager, did you have, you know, like something you did to make money that was your own? Do you have something that gives you this, I'm going to say really positive spin on business? I love how you say it's about connection. Right. I mean, so often people say, oh, it's about manipulation. Oh, you got to be manipulative and fake. That's not doing good business. If you're doing that and you're doing business, you're not doing good business. I think what you say about business is about connection. That makes a lot of sense. So have you got background in this stuff?
0: Where would you get your chops? Before I became a Chinese medicine practitioner in my early 30s, I worked in corporate. And I worked for a bit. IT company in Switzerland back then. And I I did thrive in that environment for a while because I had an incredible, incredible manager. And he really brought the best out in me at the time, I believe. And he was incredible in working with his team. We had such a team spirit, it was unbelievable. And I think it just gave me the confidence and he pushed me several times to limits that I I wouldn't even think about. And he pushed me several times because he saw, like he knew I could do it. I I didn't think I could, but I became a key account manager with a huge, huge budget I had to fill. It was a number, I think it was about 12 million Swiss francs I had to bring in per year and I thought he really overestimated me, but he was—he
1: <laughs> chose the wrong person. Oh no, you got the wrong person.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I kept saying to him, "Look, I, I think I think this is wrong. I think I really can't do that." But then he said something very important. He said to me, "I'll be there. I'll help you, and you can." And it just changed the way I was thinking things it just changed the way it changed my belief system it changed my approach and I think that made a huge difference to me feeling confident about what I was doing and the other part is that I feel that I have a pretty good intuition for some reason I don't know it just came with me and so my gut feeling is quite strong so I actually now rely on that. I say, well, you know, this feels not right, so I'm not going to do it, or this feels great. It might feel a little bit uncomfortable. It might feel a little bit pushy or a little bit of, it might feel a little bit overwhelming, but I've got the feeling I have to do this, and I just went for it. And I'm not sure if that's a business background. I think it was more a, a personal development that – helped me to do what I do today.
1: I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Just because you're working in business or, quote, doing business doesn't mean that you're not like wildly developing aspects of yourself. I love the story of, of this manager who really pushed you, pushed you way beyond what you thought you were capable of. And at the same time that he was pushing, he showed up with support. It was challenge. And support. I had a similar thing. I, I used to work in IT too years ago. It's funny, I've always had jobs when I've had jobs, I've always had these jobs where when I got the job, I was not qualified for the job. I had the potential and I had the interest, but I really wasn't qualified for the job. And I've had people that saw that and they took that challenge on. In fact, the jobs that I was like super qualified to do like with all the background and this and that and everything I never got them those never worked out I've had I've had situations where I thought I've got this one nailed I am the man for the job never happened for me in my life having that edge of I don't quite know how to do it yet has been super important I love being at my growing edge it's terrifying And as one of my managers pointed out, he said, people do the best when they have both support and challenge. You got to be challenged to what's just beyond what you can do. And then you have to have someone backing you up. And, and, you know, maybe that's something that we're missing as practitioners that are also business people. We've got the challenge. We don't always have the support.
0: Yeah, that's correct. And I think that's something that's severely lacking in our industry. Whenever I do talk to practitioners, they do genuinely lack support in all sorts of situations. They might lack support if they're successful, but they also may lack support when they have a very difficult situation in their clinics when it's not working or they're not getting enough patients or they're being audited by the board or situations like that. They always lack support. And I just had a conversation with a practitioner yesterday and she says she feels genuinely shy of going out there and networking with other practitioners. So she just keeps to herself, she does her own thing, but she does feel very lonely doing it that way. So I just keep wondering, why is it that we feel so apprehensive in connecting with other practitioners? What is it there? Do we feel judged? Do we
1: feel... I I think you just put your finger on something really powerful. I had somebody email me recently, and, and they thanked me for doing the podcast. And, you know, I mean, it's nice to get that, but then you know, I'm always curious. It's like, okay, I'm glad to get your email, but, you know, what is it that you're getting from this? And this person wrote me back and said, it's an hour when I can hear people talk about Chinese medicine and nobody's arguing with somebody else. I mean, there are ways that we are supportive of each other, but in some ways, I don't know of anyone who's like more dismissive of acupuncturists than other acupuncturists. You know, maybe we do a different method or we come from a different tradition or, I mean, whatever.
0: Yeah. People really genuinely want to overcome fragmentation, but fragmentation has never been so widespread even if you look at some of the which I don't often do the share groups on Facebook I mean there's just there's just so much apprehension apprehension to accept someone else's style or way to do things apprehension to come out of your comfort zone and embrace that we are also business people apprehension to I don't know just genuine apprehension towards everything and anything and you know we've got such an incredible body of wisdom and so much knowledge and so many great philosophies it doesn't matter which tradition you're coming from or or you know which tradition you're representing and still we're being so fragmented and so so shy to share and embrace our profession or our
1: industry. Differences are interesting. Differences can really drive people apart. Differences can also be super fertile ground to learn something new that, that you might not know about or not quite understand because it, it's a different perspective. And this might not just be acupuncturists. This just might be human beings. I think it's very difficult to take on someone else's perspective. Not that you own it yourself or say that it's right, but to be able to take it on just enough so that you can see what the other person is seeing through their own eyes. You know, to take it on just enough To have a sense of understanding. I I mean, I know for myself, it's super difficult, especially if you get in things like, you know, the political realm, which is like super, you know, inflammatory these days. It's hard to even take on someone else's point of view just because you want to understand them. Not because you want to convince them of anything or that you want to be convinced, but to have enough empathy just to understand. I think empathy is super difficult.
0: I mean, there's no reason why. There's no reason why it should be difficult or why we couldn't embrace it.
1: I know that over here we hear a lot about, like especially in larger cities or where there's lots of practitioners, you hear about, well, you know, there's so much competition. And, you know, maybe it has something to do with that, even though we are colleagues in the sense that we all practice this medicine together we're seeing each other more as competitors than as collaborators, right? Instead of being members of the same tribe that are all, you know, looking to take this medicine and bring it forward, maybe being supportive to each other, or at least working together in such a way that, that we can be somewhat collaborative. I think so often we end up with this like, oh, well, if you're doing, if you're doing well, it means I'm not doing so well. And you know, it's a very Darwinistic idea, right? Survival of the fittest, and there's only so much to go around. I wonder if that's really true.
0: I don't think we see the opportunity that collaboration will provide us with. And the separation, where does the separation come from? I, I think separation might come from a lack of confidence, a lack of knowing that well, first of all, we are enough the way the way
1: we are. You bring up confidence. It's uh, a bit synchronistic that you bring up confidence. Th- this is a, a thing. Here we are. We're recording this at the end of uh, 2019. For some reason, for the past few months, I have found that the word confidence and the issues of confidence have been cropping up in lots of different conversations. I don't know if it's because there's something going on in my life or there's just something going on you know, in general, or it just happens to be an issue that I'm talking about with guests of the show. But confidence seems to come up a lot. And I think confidence is a really important thing. The problem that I have found with confidence is the only way to get it is to live into it. And that means it takes time. It takes lots of discomfort. It takes some success. It takes some failure. It takes some turning failure into success. But it is something that you don't get from school. How could you? You can get some competence from school. You can learn some skills. But for confidence, that takes time. You can only live into it in the same way. You know, let's say you plant an apple tree, you're not going to get apples that first year. That apple tree has to grow roots, and it has to reach a certain level of maturity, and then you get apples. I suspect us human beings are a similar way. We have to grow a certain amount before we can grow into that sense of confidence. And, and you know, and you hear the thing about, well, you know, fake it till you make it. Well, I, I'm not so sure about faking it, because we're always looking at ourselves, and we know if we're faking it or not. I'm not sure confidence comes from faking it.
0: No, I don't think it comes from faking it. I think it makes it worse. It makes us less confident. I think we just have to, at some stage, take the dive and say, well, this is me. This is how I work. I'm doing a great job. I've got a great education. And now I just have to embrace it and say, well, that's what I chose to do. I am going to be a Chinese medicine practitioner. I'm going to help people feel better, explore their health and well-being, and that's what I'm going to embrace. And we just have to embrace it. And we've made the decision, so we might as well put it out there and say, well, it will be small steps maybe, but that doesn't matter. Small steps is a great way to feel more confident down the track and no, even if we've done it for several years you might still have areas where we feel less confident and where you know we are a bit challenged by a certain type of patient or a certain type of condition and and do you know what that's okay too
3: hello everyone and Cecil Sturman here It's at com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you.
1: I don't think that ever stops. We could be very competent in certain areas, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're skilled and competent in others. So you know you could be at this for twenty or thirty years, and, and yet there's you know there's one particular kind of patient. Oh man, that's still my that's still my uh, growing edge right there.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't <laughs> think
1: I don't think the growing edges ever stop.
0: No, it'll keep us on our toes. It'll keep us in a frame of mind where we want to explore further, become better, learn more, and. I think it's actually a good thing. That was one of the reasons why I chose Chinese medicine, because I knew I would never run out of ideas to explore and, and dive into. Tell me
1: about that transition. Corporate IT, millions of dollars a budget, into acupuncturist. What happened there?
0: <laughs> I was one of those people who always, always, as far as I remember, wanted to be a doctor a medical doctor about
1: my life. You're the opposite of me. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I never wanted anything to do with medicine.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Look at you now. Look at you now. Yeah,
1: look at me now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you Uh, always wanted to be a doctor. You were always interested in this kind of thing.
0: I was always interested in medicine, and my life or the circumstances of my life didn't well, I just didn't have an opportunity or I didn't, you know, I I didn't feel strongly enough about it maybe at the time. But I grew up um, with a single mother and we didn't have money at all and it was quite tough and I always fought with my mother, so it just wasn't conducive. When I then became an IT person, a key account manager, I was able to to explore that rebellious side that I had. I always had a bit of a rebellious side in me, and it was great. I could explore that. But then after what, a few You mean years, you were like
1: riding motorcycles and jumping out of airplanes? <laughs> I,
0: I did ride motorcycles at some stage, but it wasn't giving me enough, so I, I stopped doing that. So I decided at some stage… I needed to explore the world, and I took some time off from my job and thought, oh, you know, I want to go to the furthest place that I can imagine. I want to go to Australia and just, you know, find new ideas about what I wanted to do with my life. That was, as I said, in my early 30s. So I came down under, and I loved it. I loved it from the moment I landed here. I just loved everything about it. I loved the lifestyle, I loved the country, I loved the the nature. I just absolutely fell in love with it.
1: You were in your place.
0: I was in my place, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I still didn't know what to do with my life, so I thought I'd just float around for a bit, explore some more of the continent. And then I landed in Melbourne at some stage, and I think I had... Some kind of health condition, which I don't even remember now what it was, it might just be a pain. And someone said to me, Why don't you go and see an acupuncturist? And I thought, well, Acupuncturist, I don't even know what they are, or what they do, and how they work. And I went to an acupuncturist in Melbourne, and I was just mesmerized by the whole experience. I, it just clicked. And I thought to myself, during that session, I thought to myself, I think that's what I want to do. I think that is really what I want to do. So I said to my acupuncturist, I said, do you have any idea where I could learn what you do? And he said, yes, you can actually study with me. I've got a college and you can learn from me. And I said, well, that that must be a sign. So I had to wait six months until I could start my course. and, And that was in 1997, I think. And I've never looked back. I'm so glad I didn't go down the medical, the medicine path. I'm so okay. glad. The conventional I, world. Yeah, the conventional uh, medical path. I'm so glad I chose this, this one. And I'm, I still love it. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful modality to be practicing in. And it has so much opportunities and it has so much potential and it can help so many people.
1: So you've got this corporate background. You're fine with working with big budgets. That's kind of a nice thing to be able to like look at large amounts of money and not be scared about it. You know, I mean, I think for a lot of us, I know for myself, sometimes I'll look at like, oh, I had this really good month. And it's like, is that okay? I mean, it's a funny thing sometimes to to look at doing well and go, is that okay for me? You know, it's, it's like we get these sort of set points in a sense. And, and if we somehow get a little out of that homeostatic groove, um, there's some discomfort. So lucky for you, you've been working with, you know, million-dollar budgets. So that must have been helpful in some ways to, to not be freaked out about big sums of money.
0: Yeah, I think it was very helpful because money is like energy. You know, it comes and goes, and it always does. As like, if we are working and not be in the position where we do have a lot of money from right from the start, or you know, being given a lot of money, then money comes and goes. It's just part of a universal law. Like, like the flow, it ebbs and it, it flows.
1: There's more and there's less. A lot of us like to talk about that, and yet there's there's something about money that's like it's so easy to be grabby with it, right? It's like oh well I've got some now, but will I have it later? And um, or is it even okay to have some? Oh my God, I got some money. I better quick give it away because that's uncomfortable having it, right? I mean, in some ways you can look at it in terms of like excess or deficiency. Like oh there could be a deficiency pattern. Oh I don't have enough. I better grab as much as I can. Or there be this kind of excess where like, oh, you know, I got it. I, It's not okay to have it. I got to get rid of it. How would you say your thoughts about money have shifted and maybe matured by being a business person, running your own business?
0: It definitely makes it more comfortable, like having the background that I have, because it's always been a part of the equation, which doesn't mean that I'm I'm attached to it. It means that it's just a number. Uh, it's it's a big number by all means, but it just means it's a number and I understand that not not all of us work that way, but I like challenges. I like to grow, I like to develop. So if I have areas that I feel weaking then I want to explore why 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 that is so and what what can I do to overcome that or to be more comfortable or more confident with a certain area so I maybe don't pay as much attention to money anymore as as some people might and I do understand that's you know easily said but can be very very difficult if there is a if there is a severe lack of money and the attrition rates.
1: And you've also experienced that in your life.
0: I have experienced that, yes. And and I'm not sure when we are in situations like that, if it's just because it's an area that we could learn from. It's an area that we can maybe explore a little bit further and maybe embrace more. I'm not sure, I'm just putting something out there that I'm I'm not sure about, but I truly believe that money is an energy and by us not detesting it but saying, well, it's an energy that can help me to get where I want to go, then it just takes all that pressure out of it, out of, ooh, it's money and it's maybe...
1: It's like dirty or evil. Exactly. Or, That's yeah. the word yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, thinking yeah. of,
0: but I didn't want to say it.
1: Well, but, if- but, but this is what many of us think about. I, I've been there. Here's something I've discovered along the way. So many things I discovered, usually through abject failure. Um, and I like what you said a moment ago about when, when something's difficult, you can either shy away from it or you can dig into it. And you, and you tend to go with digging in. I sometimes dig in, often I shy away, but you know, if something's an issue in life, that issue is not gonna go away until you've resolved it. It is gonna be loyal and it's gonna stick around. That's been my experience. One of the things I've discovered about money is that if I've got a bad attitude toward it, if I've got this idea that it, that it's something I shouldn't really want, or it's not okay to have much of it, it's going to make it very difficult to have a good relationship with it and to be able to acquire it. It's like if, if money is something that I don't think I should want, it's going to be hard to get much of it. And yet we need that flow. It's just like, you know, we need a certain amount of air. We need a certain amount of food. We need a certain amount of water. If you're going to just live, you know, in this physical life. And yeah, money can be seen as a kind of an energy, a kind of flow, a type of exchange. You know, we're Chinese medicine people. You could say it's a kind of a manifestation of qi.
2: We
0: do need it if we want to continue our journey as practitioners. Then it's part of our world. So we might as well say, well, money comes as an exchange for a treatment that we give or consultation. And it's how things are. You know, you can't make it go away because you don't like it. It's part of the equation of us being practitioners and business people. And it just, if we can embrace that and say, well, that's how things are, and I'm not going to be hung up about it because that's how my patients pay for my services, then maybe we can ease off the pressure a bit.
1: You've been practicing long enough that from time to time, I'm sure you've had to raise your prices and then have a conversation with your patients around it. I'm actually in the process of doing that. My prices go up at the beginning of the new year, which is just a few short weeks away, and so I've already started letting my current patients know. Oh, you know, great, you know, thank you. I'll see you next month. By the way, fees go up. Even though I kind of like being a businessman, right? That money, there, there's all, there's still always a little you know nudge for me around the money piece, right? It's like I show up, and it's like, am I really okay? It's it's kind of like a it's almost like a, like an object of meditation in a way, right? It's like, I'm going to show up to this money thing. Ooh, how am I with the money thing at this moment? So for me in the past few weeks, I've been saying to people, by the way, the rates are going up. This is what they're going to be. And do you know how many people have gotten indignant or like, really, you're doing that? You know how many have done that? How many?
0: So when you say to them, how do you feel about it? because they might just reflect what what you're thinking when you when you tell them
1: here's here's what people say to me they go oh that's okay good for you oh yeah you need to keep up with the cost of living that's what they tell me
0: exactly and and that's what they always say because they know that prices go up occasionally some organizations or departments don't even tell you they put the prices up you'll just all of a sudden get an invoice, like car registration here, they don't tell you they're going to put the price up by 50 or 60 bucks. They just put it up and you got to pay it because you have no, no choice.
1: And you know something else? Anyone who's got a job and they're getting a paycheck, guess what they're going to get every single year? And if they don't get it, they're unhappy. They're going to get more money. We have to do that for ourselves. Um, but it, it, it is one of those moments. I know, I know for myself, speaking very, you know, as transparently as I can about this. There, there still is that moment of, ooh, wow, is what I'm doing really worth this? Would I pay what I'm asking other people to pay me for what I do? That, I think, is the real crux to the, of the matter. Would I pay someone else what I'm asking them to pay me? If the answer is yes, then great. You're, you know, you're on really solid ground. If the answer is no... Gosh, now what are you gonna do about making your services valuable enough that you would actually pay for it yourself?
0: (laughs) It's that self-critique that comes into play, just that inner person that says, Oh, I don't think you can charge that much for what you do. And it's that confidence aspect again that comes in, isn't it? Where we go, Oh, am I confident? Am I confident to with what I do and Am I confident to charge for that in in a certain way? And it's maybe exactly what what you know that kind of puts the finger on the pulse there, doesn't it?
1: It it what, really does, and yeah. and actually, you know, as we're having this conversation, I realize it's it's a really good question because if I'm not bringing that kind of value, then it's incumbent upon me to figure out how to bring that value. Taking less money is one thing. Okay, I'm, I'm all, you know, my services are only worth X. I'm not going to go above that. But if you're really going to take it up there a notch or two, maybe you have to like bring a bigger game. Are you familiar with Seth Godin? Do you know who Seth Godin is? Yes,
0: yes, yes. I'm familiar with him.
1: I love his haircut, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he does a thing called the marketing seminar which which I did a couple of years ago and he's got these great like prompts that you work off of and questions you work off of and and one of the great questions that he threw out he said okay what if you had to increase your price by a factor of 10 not double it not triple it increase it by a factor of 10 what would you have to do With your services to make it worth that it's a very difficult question it is a difficult question but do you know where we stuck we stuck
0: thinking that money equals time where we go like well i've given an hour so an hour is worth 80 90 hundred dollars i don't know how much you charge and if we work less than an hour or more than an hour you know should that change but we forget that it's about outcome.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you could work for an hour and a half on somebody, not change a thing. Well, I worked an hour and a half. You should pay me my fee. But if you could get somebody the outcome they want in 10 minutes and get them out the door, why wouldn't you charge your entire fee for that? Because they came to get rid of their problem. Bridget, I th- thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I run into the same thing sometimes. Sometimes people start feeling better pretty quickly and I'm thinking, okay, we're done for the day. Oh man, they've only been here 20 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: How how great is that? Can Um, I do that? (laughs) Absolutely. Because it's about outcome and it's about, you know, seeing people coming out of your treatment room like different persons. They had so much relief. They had so much relaxation and, and they tell you, you know, they tell you this was amazing. And they'd probably be happy to pay you 250 or $500 for that because, and it doesn't matter that they were just 20 minutes. They they just spent 20 minutes in your treatment room.
1: All right, kids. Did y'all catch that? We're paid for our outcome, not for our time.
0: Yeah. Because do you know what profession charges by the minute? One of the oldest professions.
1: Massage therapists. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And also prostitutes, I believe.
1: <laughs> no, we're going there. you already in. You said the oldest profession in the world, they charge by the hour. Is that, do they char- but do they? Are they charging by the hour or are they charging for the outcome?
0: Good question. I have no experience whatsoever.
1: We might need to get a hooker on
0: here. <laughs> we might have to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and So I think that's one of... One of the problems where we get stuck, and then we've got this hour thing happening, where we go like, "Oh, but you know, I think they might need a little bit less, or you know, they're dumb, or what am I going to do now?" And then, and then the treatment becomes tainted because you're trying to do more things that might not be relevant, and it becomes, yeah, tainted. I think that's it becomes
1: word. tainted. Well, it becomes unfocused. That's never helpful. And there's also, I mean, depending on your particular perspectives, uh, certainly the perspective I work from, you can overtreat people. Overtreating people can bring as many problems as undertreating people. More is not gooder. And and doing more could actually cause problems.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I agree. I
0: agree. So that's one thing we need to overcome, definitely. Yeah. And, and then, obviously, there will be questions about, well, if you put an hour away for one patient and then you finish in 35 minutes, what are you going to do? Um, well, see another patient. See another patient, exactly. A so, more people. So book them in, if you can, every half an hour, for instance. Uh, a lot of people seem to cancel their appointments late in those last couple of months over here. I'm not sure if it's you have a similar trend over there, but
1: Yes, we well, do. I'm, I'm so grateful at this time of year when people cancel because I get a breather. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. You have a breather. You know, you book them in every half an hour and then you have an hour for someone, but they're finished in 35 minutes. You got a 25-minute breather where you can review some notes or you can have a cup of tea or you can go outside and breathe some air. It's not really that, you know, it's that flow and sometimes flow is longer and sometimes it's shorter. Um, So we we don't, you know, it's okay just just to go with the flow sometimes. It really is. Even in business, it's it's good to do that.
1: In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, business is really nothing but flow when you think about it, right? There's times where, you know, stuff is really cooking and there's times where it's not really cooking. And I mean, if there's any way of learning something about the, you know, tide of yin and yang and something about you know how the Tao arises and retreats and, and things flow, run yourself a darn business. And, and you'll see that this is absolutely true.
0: Yeah, it's a great way to experience that flow and to go beyond your limits.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you this. How has being a business person made you a better practitioner.
0: See, I don't see myself that much as a business person. I I see myself maybe as a more confident practitioner with the background in business maybe, but I still see myself as a connector. I connect, I connect with patients, I connect with my colleagues at work, I connect with my team I connect with my suppliers. To me, it's all about human connection, and if, if it's in a business sense or not, it doesn't really it doesn't really make a difference. No, it's it, still I, I think it
1: makes no difference. This is what we talked about at the very beginning of our conversation. You talked about business as a way of having connection. Who doesn't want connection in their life?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Connection is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So you're really looking at the connection piece. You're looking at that this activity, air quotes your business as this opportunity to be connected with your community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that connection will you know, will be in a in a professional environment, hopefully. Um, and and then it's just about that exchange. And it doesn't matter if I have a conversation with a supplier about prices of their products or shortages of herbs or, you know, a better needle or, you know, whatever it might be. It's still a human connection. And that's really something I am I'm very passionate about because I think it's the only way for us to overcome isolation and it's a good way for us to to develop and grow.
1: Yeah. It's not just about making money. Of course, making money is good. Money's good. But that it comes from being connected. I, I get to talk to lots of different people, you know, both from my medicine practice and for the podcast. And sometimes I find when I'm talking to somebody about, I'm just going to say a business thing, whatever it is, the conversation will come around to something and some kind of issue they're having with something in their life may be connected to the way that we're connected doing business. It may not be. It doesn't matter. But that because we're having the, the conversation, I can find all kinds of ways of being helpful to people That that doesn't involve me doing pins in my clinic. You know, like you're talking about with suppliers or, you know, people that work with you. There's all kinds of ways that we can help people solve their problems through the different avenues that we inhabit in our life. Sometimes it's our clinic and the work we do there. Sometimes it's our business and a product that we sell. But sometimes it's, it, it's other things that come up while we're in the process of doing business. We have all these wonderful opportunities to be helpful.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's where the opportunity to serve comes in, isn't it? Because we really all want to serve. We want to serve others primarily we also want to serve other selves. but it's a great way to to bring that into action and not just to think about it. So serving
1: yeah. Have you got advice you know maybe for new practitioners or people that are kind of shy around putting themselves out there, you know doing what it takes to grow into a person who has confidence, which means pushing forward even without confidence. Any advice for folks? Who are in that process, how to make some steps when they might not know how to make some steps?
0: I think we all could benefit from from different rituals that we know work well for us. So, for one person, it might be going for a walk, other might like to sit and reflect, other might embrace a practice of a particular practice of meditation. I think it's all about finding ways to help you to feel yourself, to feel that you're connected to yourself, to feel that you're in contact with yourself. For you know, for other people, you might be talking to to best friends or partners, and just just to explore what what floats you boat, what makes you be yourself. Intrinsically, we do have confidence it's just because we we are you know living in a crazy world (laughs) that poses lots of challenges and can be very mean and brutal we we might shy away so i think embracing a daily ritual that helps you to to feel yourself is a great way to start that process and you might not need anyone else for that and then obviously a a group of friends or colleagues that you feel confident that you can share, you can share your thoughts, you can share your fears with and be encouraged by them, like supported and encouraged and if you don't have that, then find someone find someone that you trust that you can have intimate conversations about what you feel isn't working for you or what scares you or what you feel you're thriving on and and share and try try to connect and try to explore who you are and as a new graduate um, there's there's so many things that you have to do and not to and you know it's great to have a more seasoned practitioner at your site that's been there has done it you can talk to it could be a regular occurrence or it could just be when you need help and just see how they do things and ask them the questions and and get advice and guidance from a practitioner who's been doing it for a little bit longer try and embrace the opportunity try and embrace the opportunity to to explore to be yourself to to build confidence to find your authentic style of interaction and treatment and running you know the way you run your business be inspired to to put it into action if you found something that you really love be inspired to take it on and 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 work
1: with it. You know, you just said authentic, that authentic part. That to me seems like a super powerful resource. Um, And I know for myself that, especially in the beginning, it might be the part that I least wanted to show. Even though that's the part that I think was probably more helpful than anything in getting a practice up and going and continuing was, was to bring my authentic self to it. In the beginning, that was also the hardest thing for me to uh, bring forward and let other people see.
0: Maybe you didn't have encouragement to bring your no, authentic I think, it, self. I think it's just
1: a general reticence and, and shyness on my part when I was younger. Back to that lack of confidence you know, at that point I was looking around at other people going, well, that's what success looks like, and I don't look anything like that. Or here's what these people are doing, but I don't work that way. Or you learn for three years, and you go out and you start to practice, and even two years into it, it's like, holy crap, do I even know what I'm doing? To really embrace that and let that be there, not let it stop you, but recognize that it's also there, but not let it stop you. That That took quite a few years for me to recognize that the stuff I don't know doesn't mean that I'm not competent. It it just means that there's always more to learn. And it just, sometimes it just takes time. It's like you have to gut it out for a while.
0: Yes, you do. And it's that small steps where, you know, you find an area that you're less confident, not less competent, but less confident in. And and you start working with that a little bit. And you try to put your finger onto what's making you feel less confident and work with that. Do you know what I mean? It's very mm-hmm, subtle. Mm-hmm. It's very subtle sometimes. So that's where good conversations with colleagues or like-minded individuals are really very are very valuable. Where you can say, Do you know what? This is how I experience Those patients that are assertive, you know, they actually make me feel uncomfortable. What could I do about it? And then you start talking about it and maybe developing some strategies. And I kid you not, in no time, you'll be a lot more confident.
1: Absolutely. I I think our air quotes here, difficult patients, they really can be wonderful teachers because they're pointing something out to us where we are deficient. We're not quite as well-developed as we could be. And, and how do you know that? Because this patient here just steps all over your buttons or just makes you feel like you don't know what you're doing. And, and that's, yeah, if you can be honest with yourself, get some help. You know, this is where I think conversations, one-on-one, small groups, actually in person are super helpful. And this is where the digital realm is super unhelpful. You know, to take the vulnerable part of yourself and put it out in front of the whole world. You know, I'm not a digital native. Maybe younger people that that have been doing that their entire life are comfortable with that. But you're not going to find me doing that. I am super happy to talk to people that I know, like, and trust with those vulnerable pieces. But I I don't don't want it out all over the internet.
0: I understand our generation might be not so keen to, to do that type of conversation but at the same time I mean it allows me to talk to you about you know having this conversation to you this morning and I you know do feel pretty vulnerable doing that as well because I don't know who's going to listen to it and and how will they judge it and will they say oh it was like this or it was like that and then I go like well do you know what that might happen. They might hate it, they might love it, but, you know, I put myself out there. I had this conversation with you this morning.
1: Yeah. Well, this, this is one of the super weird things about the podcast for me is, is on one hand, <laughs> I just said, yeah, I don't want to have, you know, my, <laughs> my, my tender, not completely matured parts showing out in public, right? And yet here we're doing a podcast, we're talking about some <laughs> stuff that's that's pretty personal, but at the same time it's it, it I'm focused here more on the conversation with you and and exploring that piece of it I, I realize that the podcast goes both ways, and I hadn't even thought about it too much until you just pointed it out <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that the world is listening and once again, I have just contradicted myself, oh man, happens all the time. I, I think what I meant by not wanting to have it you know, those parts of myself shown in public it's it's more the um you know, I guess like the chat groups and the Facebook things, and, and just places where I. Here's what it is. Ah, this is what it is. It's the places where I don't feel connected. If I feel connected, even though this is a public forum that we're in at the moment, and all y'all that are listening to this, even though it's that public forum, but it's because I feel a sense of connection that I can have this conversation. So, so we're back to this thing that you started talking about in the beginning that. It's about connection. It's where and how we find connection, and you know, maybe you find connection on on you know your chat stream. Well, if that's where you find it, great. But it's it, it yeah, it's about that. There's all this other stuff I wanted to talk to you about. We're we're at almost an hour already because you know that's just the way these conversations roll. I mean, I know you're a practitioner, but. You know, this is kind of a, a business conversation. So I want to roll back for a moment to your herb business. You, I mean, you have, you have an herb business, right?
0: Yes, I do run a dispensary service.
1: What got you started with that?
0: I originally come from Switzerland. That's where I grew up before I took off to come here to Down Under. I worked as a practitioner in Switzerland for a little while going back there after I completed my studies in Australia and I couldn't stay because they wouldn't give me a permanent visa. So they actually threw me out of the country. (laughs) They did, yeah, in 2002. So I went back to Switzerland and I started working as a practitioner, but I also was always extremely interested in herbs, So I started working for a dispensary service in Switzerland and in Switzerland as a practitioner you're not allowed to self-dispense you actually have to use a licensed pharmacy to do your herbs so I worked for two two different ones and before coming back out here in 2008 I I came in contact with a product that I loved their liquid extract um, and I, I loved them because they had such high high compliance so I Came back to Australia, moved regionally, which is about two hours away from Melbourne, onto an island called Phillip Island. Ah, heard you get was... kicked
1: off of an island.
0: <laughs> That's right. And when I was contemplating how how was I going to do herbs, and you, I, I was just I knew that model where you don't have your own herbs and you you just order the herbs from from a pharmacy, so you don't have to do your dispensing. That really worked well for me, so I wanted to find a similar product that I I got to know in Switzerland that I couldn't. Uh, there were only tinctures available in Australia which have a very high percentage of alcohol. So I decided to bring those liquid extracts out to Philip Island and then I thought, well, if I'm using them, I might as well offer them to other practitioners and that's how how this business Venture started in 2008.
1: This is one of the things that I super love about business. It's it's often an opportunity to, in some way, scratch our own itch. Right, there's something we need, and so well, oh, I can't find it. Well, I'll just I'll just do it myself. But also, it's a way of of bringing that to other people. Right, it's, it's that idea of oh, this has been helpful for me. Oh hey, I could share this with my community, right? There's a need here. There's a way that I can be helpful. And um, I think we often forget about that in the business, you know, with the business world, so to speak. It's, it's not, I mean, I used to think about it as, well, how am I going to sell stuff and make this work? And increasingly, less I think about that, and I tend to think more about how can I be helpful? And I think that's a much more potent question so it sounds like you found some ways of being helpful.
0: Yeah, and it gives me lots of connections. It gives me <laughs> connectivity to practitioners, to the regulatory bodies, to my supplier in Europe, um, to you know other suppliers that provide us with materials, packaging, and other ingredients from here. So it gives me lots of connections.
1: Well, and world, you're an international really. businesswoman.
0: Oh, yeah, I wouldn't go that far, but. Wow, uh, <laughs>
1: see Switzerland, Australia, you're talking to me in the United States. Yeah, I'd say international. One other thing that I noticed that you're doing these days, you know, you were talking about how, especially for neuropractitioners, practitioners, it's helpful to be able to talk to someone who's got some experience, you know, to to help guide you. It sounds like you're doing some of that work these days.
0: Yes, I embraced that and overcome my low confidence. <laughs> I did. And I decided um, that I was going to write a book last, well, I, I decided three years ago, but it didn't get completed till last year. And I wanted to help new graduates because I became aware of high attrition rates in Australia 95%, you know, stop working in the industry. After about, or you know, within five years. And I thought, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. So many talented practitioners and they leave the industry within five years. How can that be? So I just thought, well, you know, I've been working in the industry for a while. So I'll just put it all together and it became a book. And I launched that book last year. Sorry, this year in 2019. I launched it this year, and then based on the book, I had inquiries from practitioners who wanted to know more or wanted to have more a more tailored consultations. I started group mentorship programs, and which I it's not one on one; it's small groups because small groups carry individual practitioners and there's a a much bigger aspect of accountability. So when you say, you can learn
1: from more than one person.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So I just completed another group. There was one new graduate and three practitioners who maybe started within the last three years. And it was amazing. It was, we had such a good time and It was just wonderful to to share, to connect with these practitioners and find uh, where they wanted to be, what they wanted to do with their businesses and help them. You know, it was just talking about things and maybe applying a certain focus to who they were as a person and how they could bring that into their practice to make their practice authentic. It's just so wonderful to see the talents Of those individual practitioners and what they bring into the treatment room. And I really, really enjoy that because I can see, I can see how the essence of a practitioner comes out just by simply encouraging them to do things the way they want to do it, but they might not feel confident enough to do it. And I absolutely love, I absolutely adore that work. It's given me so much. And I learned so much from them as well.
1: Yeah, it it, it goes both ways, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it's it's hard to open up those kinds of conversations and not receive a lot of nourishment yourself and a lot of, you know, new ideas and, and maybe, you know, just recognize, oh, there's something that I've not been attending to that I could attend to a little bit better. How do people find you on the internet if they would like to get your book or maybe do some work with you?
0: They can go to BridgetLinder.com. And Bridget, it's spelled as in B-R-I-G-I-T-T-E, Linda.com. And they can find all the information there. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to name my website here today.
1: Uh, You're welcome. I'll, I'll make sure it's on the show notes as well. Bridget, my connector friend, thank you so much for this delightful <laughs> conversation today.
0: It was great, and I appreciate the opportunity and thank you for being such a legend in with your podcast and what you do and how you do it. It's just amazing. I'm so happy that we've connected.
1: <laughs> Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation,